And so, Lord, you're beautiful. And uh, we pray that this morning we would see you, that you would help us to preach, that we would see you and that we would hear you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Good evening, Miss Lane. Uh, hi. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have plans this evening? Oh. Oh, this whole thing, no. Well, listen, it's no trouble at all for no. you to come back later. Don't move. Um, or, uh, <laughs> sure you can move. Um, just don't fly away, all right? Sorry to uh, drop in on you like this, Miss Lane, but I've been thinking, you know, there must be a lot of questions about me that people in the world would like to know the answer. Of course, yes. Uh... Uh, you really shouldn't smoke, you know, Miss Lane. Don't tell me. Lung cancer, right? Well, not yet, thank goodness. Ready? Here I am, like a kid out of school, holding hands with a god. I'm a fool. Ourselves. Oh well, maybe next time. Oh. You okay? Can I come in? Oh, yeah. Lois, for, for goodness sake, didn't you hear me knocking? Uh-huh. <laughs> Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him. I'm just pointing out that it would be kind of stressful being Superman's girlfriend. You know what I mean? Because, like, he would be so awesome. And you, 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 couldn't, uh, you couldn't control him. You, you couldn't contain him. You couldn't comprehend him. And he could, like, look right through you. I mean, that would make you kind of insecure, wouldn't it? It would be a challenge for Superman. I mean, how would you get your girlfriend to see you, the real you, and not just your awesome power? How would you get her to hear you? And if she ever did, if she ever fell in love with you, she might be tempted to, well, she would. She'd be tempted to to control you. 
I mean, Lois Lane uh, must have been tempted to kind of contain the Superman, even save the Superman, you know, keep him safe, keep him safe for herself, like in a big stone box somewhere. I imagine Lois uh, might have been tempted to domesticate the Superman. I guess it's uh, sort of like being married to a doctor, you know? The doctor gets wakened in the middle of the night, and then the wife has to cope with the fact that he's gone. I guess I'm just too selfish. No, no, you're not selfish at all. Yes, I am selfish when it comes to you. I am selfish. And I'm jealous of the whole world. So imagine what it would be like to be Superman's girlfriend. Because you are. You are the the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ. Matthew 17, verse 1. Now, after six days, it had been six days since Peter said, you are the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, remember we preached on this last week, he, he said, you are rocky, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he shared how he must suffer many things, and Peter said, this shall never be. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It was six days now. After six days from the time Jesus told the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ because they didn't know what the Christ meant, six days after he said, don't go tell it on the mountain, after six days, on the seventh day, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. The verb is metamorpho, so where we get our word metamorphosis, like a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. It means transform, like transformers, more than meets the eye, awesome, right? And he was transformed, transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What a stupid thing to say. In fact, Mark in his gospel records that Peter was just terrified at this point. And of course he was. He just saw Jesus, meek and mild, transform into Superman. And not just a low-grade Hollywood sort of Superman, but the biblical eschatos man. What Paul in his epistles calls the eschatos Adam, the ultimate Adam, the ultimate man. So what does Peter see on top of that mountain? Number one... He sees the Superman. He sees the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Remember that, that last week, he, he said last, in the last section, he just said, some standing here will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It turns out that he was with them all along. It's just that he looked like Clark Kent. Peter sees the Christ, the Son of Man, the God-man. He sees God. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God is light, and now Jesus is just <laughs> radiating with light, like the light of the world or something. You may remember that during the Exodus, Moses climbs the mountain, and this glory cloud, this light cloud, covers the mountain. From below, the people see consuming fire. Then, on the mountain, on the seventh day, God speaks his word, which was then written in stone as law. And when Moses descends, his face is like glowing with light. Now Peter sees Moses on this mountain with the light up Jesus. 
You may also remember that years later, Elijah climbs the same mountain, and the Lord came to him, but as a still small voice, or a thin silence, or a whisper, and then he heard the word of God and was told to go prophesy. So on the mountain, Peter sees God somehow, and Peter sees man. He sees what man is supposed to be and is destined to be, a vessel filled with fire and light, filled with God. On the mountain, Peter sees the judgment, because Jesus is the judgment. He's the judgment on the false man. Why? Because he is the revelation of the true man. And Matthew's description of these events clearly references this great pro prophecy in the book of Malachi at the end of the, the Old Testament, Malachi 3.1. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. You may remember that in the, the Old Testament, this glory cloud comes down and fills the temple in Jerusalem like it comes down and fills the tabernacle in the wilderness, it fills the sanctuary. And both times, the, the priests, the Levites, just could not stand. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Uh, this blew me away, but fuller's soap, it turns out, is made with, with brimstone. Verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment. Amazing. Now, you may remember that Peter, or Jesus, appeared like this, like, like he's appearing to Peter, James, and John right now. He appeared like this uh, on the road to Damascus, and it, like, killed the rabbi Saul and gave birth to the apostle Paul. And Jesus appeared like this to John at the start of the revelation. Like Paul, John couldn't stand. He fell as dead until Jesus walked over to him, touched him, and said, John, have no fear. 2 Thessalonians 1 tells us this is how Jesus destroys evil. Chapter 2 tells us this is how he destroys the lawless one, that is, the Antichrist, with just the manifestation of his presence. The Antichrist is a false Christ. If you think that you are your own creator and savior, you create an Antichrist, an imitation Christ. John says there are already many Antichrists, imitation Christs, and that imitation Christ must be destroyed by the revelation of the true Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is the judgment. Malachi continues in this prophecy, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze. But for you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, the sun of righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings." Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb, that Sinai, for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts. In Greek, this is apokatastasi, restore the hearts, the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree, decree of harem or utter destruction." And that's the end of the Old Testament. And now Peter sees Jesus glowing with light, standing on a mountain with Moses and Elijah. That's the law and the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law 
and the prophets. Jesus is the meaning of Scripture. So, you know, whenever you're reading Scripture and you get really confused and you ask yourself, what does it mean? It means Jesus. And whenever you're confused about anything and you ask, what does it mean? What does it mean? Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the Word of God, the Logos. Logos means meaning, the Word of God through whom all things are created and sustained. He is God's judgment as to what is and what is not. He's the Word of God that sustains all that truly is. He is the Word that spoke to Moses from the fire. He is the Word of God that came to Elijah. He's the Word that God speaks when he says, let us make man in our own image and likeness. Peter sees Superman on the seventh day. He sees the seventh day. On the seventh day of creation, it is finished. Man is finished in the image of God and everything, everything, read it, Genesis into one and start at two, everything, everything, everything is good. In Revelation 21, five, a voice comes from the throne of God where a lamb stands as if it had been slain, and the word of God is this, behold, look, I make all things new. All things. Like Moses. Do you remember what happened to Moses? Scripture's pretty clear that Moses died in the wilderness. He died in the wilderness because he was disobedient. Do you remember what he did? He was told to speak to a rock, and he struck the rock three times at Meribah. He struck the rock, and Scripture claims that the rock was Christ. Because of that, God told Moses they couldn't enter the promised land, but he would be, quote, gathered to his people. And where are his people? They're in Sheol, also translated hell. So Moses, who was in hell, having been forbidden from entering the promised land because he took living water from Christ, the rock, like Eve took knowledge of God from the tree, Moses now stands on the mountain of God in the promised land talking to Jesus, his friend. He has been made new. Peter sees the seventh day. and that the word of God will not return void, but will accomplish that for which he was sent. Peter sees the Superman. And he is so discombobulated that, that he just says, it's, it's, it's good that we're here. Good idea, oh Lord. <laughs> Why don't I build tents? What's he doing? What's he doing? You know what he's doing. He's getting religious. Verse four, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The Greek word translated tents is also translated tabernacle. It's an obvious reference to the tabernacle in the wilderness. You remember that when Moses went up on the mountain, the consuming fire and the glory of God was so awesome that the people of Israel begged God not to speak his word to them, but to Moses, because they were so freaked out by it. And then God had Moses build a tabernacle so that he could dwell with his people, move with his people, and not utterly obliterate his people people. 500 years later, after that painful experience with Uzzah, where he's killed by the glory of God and it busts out on the ark, King David decides to build God a stone tabernacle. 
a, a temple. In 2 Samuel 7, God gets mad and says he doesn't want to be kept in a stone temple. He wants to tabernacle with his people. He wants to camp with his people and so move with his people. And then God says this, one day a son of David will build me a temple. Well, it's easy to see why David wanted to build a stone temple, right? I mean, it's just unsafe to keep like a hydrogen bomb in a tent. It's kind of unsafe to keep a hydrogen bomb in a stone temple. And clearly something like that was going on inside of Jesus. So instinctively, Peter must have thought, if this veil rips, if the glory gets out, there's no telling where it may go. There's no telling what it might do. So instinctively, he tried to contain the glory and comprehend the glory. Comprehension is building mental containers. And so Peter judges the judgment, <laughs> saying, good job, God, good idea, oh Lord. And then he tries to build three containers, one for the law, one for the prophets, and one for Jesus. If there are any tents, there shouldn't be three tents. There should be one tent. And yet that's exactly what religion does. It takes the life and divides it, trying to conquer it and comprehend it. And isn't that exactly what the priests and the Pharisees did when they nailed Jesus to the tree? They divided him, trying to conquer him and comprehend him. They took the life and they, they killed the life. And isn't that exactly what Eve did when she took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, trying to comprehend the good? She killed the good and lost the life. Maybe we try to comprehend God because we're so terrified of being comprehended by God. Maybe we try to know because we're terrified of being known. You know, in the Bible, there are two ways of knowing. One results in death, and the other one results in babies. Gregory of Nyssa wrote this. Concepts create idols. Only wonder understands. In other words, only worshipers know God because they've been known by God. Worship is surrender to the author of life, and it bears the fruit of life. Well, anyway, utter, utterly terrified, trying to save his life, instinctively, Peter tries to contain, comprehend, and control Jesus. And isn't that what most religion is? Isn't that really what, what a denomination is? Some folks have like an amazing experience of light and truth and life, and then they make walls. Uh, they try to keep the life in, in a box so that they can market it, use it, judge people with it. They, they kill it, trying to control it. That is, they, they kill him, trying to control him. Well, Peter stands on the holy mountain. Jesus radiates uh, the light of eternal fire, more brilliant than the, the sun, like Malachi prophesied, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness will rise with healing in, in its wings. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. But, but where's his temple? The glory cloud was coming. Maybe Peter could even see it by now, but, but where was the temple? Peter saw no temple, and Jesus just told him, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. I think Peter heard, you're Peter, and Peter, you better build my church. You better build my, my, my temple. So Clark Kent transforms into Superman, 
right there in front of Peter, James, and John, and Peter wants to build a temple, a house, a home. You see, Peter is tempted to domesticate the Superman. I think that's the temptation of Superman's girlfriend. And we, the church, are Superman's girlfriend. Speaking of the church in Great Britain and North America, Dorothy Sayers wrote this, We have efficiently trimmed the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. We try to domesticate him, but he won't be tamed. It's like Mr. Beaver said to Lucy in the Chronicles of Narnia when she asked if Aslan the Lion was safe. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's uncontainable, incomprehensible, uncontrollable, untamable, uncontainable, good, good. Allison Schofield from our missions committee. Um, I don't know if Allison's here this morning. She, she works on the Dead Sea Scrolls over in the Middle East quite often, and she told me something that she heard from a Christian bishop in Iraq. When someone expressed surprise that there were or had been so many Christians in places like Syria and Iraq, he responded with this comment. You didn't invent Christianity in North America. You just domesticated it. Let the American Christian church know that we are praying for them to remember who they really are. We're Superman's girlfriend. But if you were Superman's girlfriend, wouldn't you be a bit concerned that he might still be interested in conquering the world by hanging on crosses outside of cities like Jerusalem and Rome and Damascus and Fallujah, hanging on crosses at the, at the gates of hell? And surely Peter's thinking about what Jesus had just said about crosses and suffering just six days earlier. Maybe he's thinking, well, you know, can't we just capture this moment, Jesus? Can we just stay here, not climb any more mountains? Because, you know, if people saw you like this, nobody would crucify you. Nobody would crucify you. Jesus, I'm supposed to build the church. How do I do that with, with a dead Messiah? Let's hang on to this. Forget the sins of the world. Jesus, let me save you. I'll build you a tent. I'll build you a temple. I'll get religious. Another story gets kind of funny. Verse 4, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, check this out, a bright cloud overshadowed them. The bright cloud that overshadowed Mount Sinai filled the tabernacle and filled the temple. That same bright cloud now overshadows Jesus, Moses, Elijah, James, John, and Peter, who won't stop talking. And a voice booms from the cloud as if to say, stop it! Shabbat! Sabbath! Shut up, Peter! He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. 
But who may abide the day of his coming, and who will stand when he appeareth? God speaks and just blows up Peter's little container, or at least Peter's plans for building a container, Peter's plans for building the tabernacle that is the sanctuary. You know, it was seven years ago today that my tabernacle blew up. Seven years ago and in a few weeks that we formed the sanctuary. When that happened, people had all sorts of plans. I had all sorts of plans. But on several occasions, my wife came to me and she said, Peter, I was praying and I heard the Lord say this. He said, tell Peter, tell Peter he cannot build the sanctuary. Now, that's pretty frustrating when you're also called to be the leader of the sanctuary. For seven years, we've tried all sorts of things to build the sanctuary. I think we've done some things well and we've done some things pretty poorly, but for seven years, we've stayed about the same size. And seven years ago, people started having visions of this, this boat. Not a big boat, but like a, a Viking war boat. And it was already built. Seven years ago, some told me, Peter, the Lord has big plans, but, but for now, for now, the sanctuary is to be about worship and nothing more. Worship and nothing more. At the time, I thought, well, maybe that means we're supposed to sing a whole lot of songs. And to remember, after the service, Justin would lead an extended time. I thought, maybe it means we're supposed to sing a whole, whole lot of songs. But you see, that's not worship. That, that can be part of worship, a very valuable part of worship. But worship is admiring Jesus, looking at Jesus, listening to Jesus. So anyway, Jesus is revealed on the seventh day, and Peter wants to build the tabernacle, but God says, behold, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. For seven years, I've waited for the sanctuary to get really big or, honestly, fall apart. And for seven years, God always seems to provide just enough that we can show up, behold Jesus, and listen to Jesus. Verse 5, God the Father says, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Rise and have no fear. It's like they die and they rise with Jesus. God says, listen to Jesus, listen to Jesus, listen to Jesus, listen to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? What does he say? He says, he just said it. Rise and have no fear. Have no fear. Fear is the beginning of wisdom, yeah, but love is the end. Have no fear. How can they have no fear? How can they possibly have no fear? Well, they just saw Superman on the seventh day. And on the seventh day, everything, everything, everything is very good. Have no fear. Jesus is the word of God and God's word will accomplish that for which he was sent. God's word is the way God creates all things, including you. Are you worried about you? Have no fear. That we could ever reject God's word is perhaps the deepest mystery in Scripture. 
Or maybe the deepest mystery is that having rejected it, we could accept it and then love God in freedom and love all creation in freedom with absolutely no fear. No fear because the Superman is the savior of all. And freedom because salvation is wanting to be saved. You see, he restores our hearts to the Father. He gives us new hearts. You worried about your heart? He came to give us new hearts. God's word is eternal seed, and when we listen, we are impregnated with eternal life. Jesus touched him and said, rise and have no fear. They lifted up their eyes and said, no, and, they, and they, saw, they saw no one. They saw no one but Jesus only. You know, there are two ways that a church can get big. And there are two ways that Superman's girlfriend can get big. Lois can see herself and make herself big. She can look in a mirror and focus on herself. She can consume more and make more Lois. I mean, Lois can beef up in order to help the Superman and save the Superman. And the church can look in a mirror and work on herself. She can consume more, make more church. She can beef up and try to help Jesus. She can talk about herself, work on herself, build more of herself. Lois, Lois can get fat. Or Lois can get pregnant. If the church focuses on herself, she, she may get big, but not with the life of Christ. But if the church sees only Jesus and well, doesn't really worry about getting pregnant, but worries about worshiping Jesus, seeing only Jesus. If she sees only Jesus, well, she might just get pregnant. Peter, James, and John cannot build the tabernacle because they are the tabernacle. They will be filled with holy fire, and they will be impregnated with glory. Peter wanted to build a container for the glory rather than worship the glorious one and become the container. What I'm trying to say is that God doesn't want us to get religious. He wants us to get pregnant. And if you don't know how that happens, that's okay. Just show up every seventh day, the Sabbath day, look at Jesus, listen to Jesus, see only Jesus, and I think you'll find yourself bearing eternal fruit. Verse 9, and as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision, just like he said last week, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. Apocatastasi, it's reference back to Malachi, all things. Uh, he will restore all things, he says. And, and in Malachi, it says he will restore hearts, the word that will restore hearts. I think it means that Christ the word in the mouth of the prophet restores all things, verse 12. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, says Jesus, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Jesus says, don't tell until you see the Son of Man risen from the dead. Don't tell until you see the Son of Man suffer. Don't tell until you know that the substance of God's glory and the power that makes all things new is sacrificial love. Don't tell until you've gone up one more mountain. 
Mount Calvary. And on that mountain, they would watch the Son of Man bear the sins of the whole world. And when he died, his flesh was torn. And when he died, the veil in the temple was torn. And the glory of God got out. He said, destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And in three days, his body, he rose from the dead. And in the 50th day, Pentecost, that body kept rising. The glory of God fell on the disciples in the upper room, and they were impregnated with life. And Peter began to preach. And at the end of Matthew, Jesus meets the disciples on a mountain, and he says this, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Going therefore, knowing that, disciple all nations, go, go tell it. And lo, is Lois, <laughs> I'm with you always. In 40 years, the stone temple would be a pile of rubble, utterly destroyed. And the living temple, the church that Jesus built on Peter, would be sailing to the ends of the earth. And now I need to tell you, I was really stressed about this message. I have bags under my eyes, not sleeping well. And that's because a little over 10 years ago, I preached on this passage and the temptation of Superman's girlfriend. And we had just gotten really big. From like 70 to a couple thousand in 12 years, we had just built a multi-million dollar sanctuary, and I'd become concerned in recent days that we had started focusing on the container and had forgotten about what it contained. People began to say stuff like this. Peter, you can't preach that because we just built this. You can't preach that. And, and that was Jesus on the seventh day. I was beginning to see that through his death and resurrection, we were to storm the gates of hell, and God would reconcile all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his Christ. And so I stood up on July 11, 2004, and I said this. You know, we built a, a pretty great boat. And then I said, during the week, I asked God, what do you want me to say? And this week, I kept hearing this phrase over and over in my mind, sink the boat. Sink the boat, sink the boat. Um, lose the tabernacle, blow up the container. Sink the boat. And I said, if, if we sink the boat, maybe we'll walk on water and become the boat. I said, we really can't sink God's boat. And I explained what I meant. Let's sink the boat we built. And then I was very clear about this. I said, sink it in our hearts. Sink it in our hearts, in our hearts. And now I'll quote exactly from my sermon. I said, I do believe the commander-in-chief told us to build this boat. While we built it, he was building us, the Navy. Well, the boat we built is a great battleship. It's an instrument of fire, and the firepower is Christ in you. We just finished, but maybe we're still in port or just taking some pleasure cruises when it's safe. But what if the commander-in-chief is calling to us, time to go to war, time to sail on troubled seas? Might we be tempted not to hear, thinking to ourselves, that's unsafe, <laughs> and war can sink a boat, and this is a great boat, and we, we don't even have it paid for. Well, don't we see, I said, that a battleship sitting in port during time of war is an abomination. So let's sink the boat. 
in our hearts. I said, in our hearts. I was very specific about in, in our hearts. Let's sink the boat right now and so be willing to sail into the gates of hell if so commanded. Let's don't be safe. You understand why I was stressed out this week? Because I realized that, that God listens to sermons. I mean, I, I'm not even sure I, I meant what I preached. But I think God meant what I preached. In three years, that boat, it sank. And the sanctuary was born because we preached the ultimate victory of Jesus standing in the glory of the seventh day. And like I said, people had visions. And now this is really, really important. It's very important that you don't believe every vision someone tells you or every time someone says they have a vision. It's important that you test every word. But several people had visions of this boat at that time. Not a big boat, but an old boat, like a, a, like a Viking boat built for war. One friend had a vision of me a few years ago on this cruise ship, and she said, Peter, you were just so miserable, and God told me that you weren't made for, for that ship. She said, uh, you were made for an, an, another ship, and then she saw me on this boat, and she said, you were made for, for this, this, this boat. This boat can go where the other boat cannot go. Lately, it's, it's dawned on me that we can't build this boat because it's already built. But maybe we can equip this boat with the right crew in the right places and the right provisions. For seven years, according to one of my friends, this boat's been moving through the harbor or being kept in place by the hand of God. And you see, that's not bad because for seven years we've been looking at, at Jesus and acquiring provisions every seventh day. So anyway, I'm not sure that we can build this boat but I think we can sail this boat out to sea and into battle. Already the word from this little boat of ours is going to distant places and bearing fruit beyond these walls, like a church without walls. Uh, so this week the board met, we have a great board, and took some tangible steps to embrace this, this vision, and it has two parts. And each part is dependent on the other part. Part number one, taking care of the boat equipping the boat. And you see, the boat is you. S since Andrew resigned, we've had to scramble a bit, but God has provided some wonderful people that you're gonna hear about a little more in the, in the next few weeks, people that I'm pretty excited about. Their job and my job is to help us worship Jesus together to gather on the seventh day and throughout the week and listen to Jesus. And that involves groups and committees and classes and programs, administration and structures. But our communion in Jesus is the boat. Take care of the boat, number one. And number two, we think we're supposed to sail the boat out to sea. And that involves setting the sails and waiting for the wind, preparing for the wind. I don't know that we'll ever get big, but I think, I think we're supposed to travel far. Fairly often people will, will send me an email or write or whatever and they'll say, Peter, where can I find a church like the sanctuary in my city? And I write back and I say, well, I'm not even sure you could find it in this city. But we'd like to help you do church in your city. 
We'd like to help you worship Jesus standing on the seventh day. So we'd like to export our worship. We'd like to export our conversations. We're already exporting our downside up films and we'd like to support them better with, with better material and a community of believers, which is us. Like we preached last time, we've seen that Jesus suffered and died for all. And like we preached this time, we've seen that Jesus conquers all things. If we've listened on the mountain, let's go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. So you see, I, I know this, I know we're supposed to gather and worship every seventh day. I know that. And I think, I think, we're supposed to sail that worship around the world. Now I suppose I could be wrong about that. Did you hear me? I could be wrong about that. I suppose our little boat could sink. And I suppose that if we stop looking at Jesus, we could sink like Peter sank. We, we could even die. But let's don't play it safe due to fear. For even if we sink into the depths of the earth, we must never forget just who our boyfriend is. Easter morning, Matthew chapter 28, verse 9. This is an accurate translation. Jesus appeared to the women returning from the tomb, and, he's, and he said unto them, Hi. <laughs> <laughs> the temptation of Superman's girlfriend is to play it safe. 
and to domesticate the man of steel. But let's watch him. Let's listen to him. And let's follow him wherever he goes. He took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. The light cup is juice, the dark cup is wine. They are both the light and life and glory of God. And now may the sanctuary be filled with his glory and bear the fruit that is life. In Jesus' name, let's worship. So what are you looking at? What are you thinking about? You think about your marriage and the parts that aren't working. You're thinking about your business and how it may fail. Thinking about your children, thinking about the fact that you feel lonely. You're thinking about yourself. Are you thinking about the wind and the waves or maybe even thinking about the boat? Well, lift your eyes and look at Jesus. You know, he gives absolutely everything for you. And he's the Superman. So rise and have no fear. He's more real than the wind. He's more real than the waves. He's more real than the boat. He's more real than the problems that you're facing. He's more real than the emptiness that surrounds you because he is the light and the life and the foundation of all being, and he belongs to you, for he's given himself to you and you belong to him. Keep looking at Jesus. And Father, we pray this in his name. Amen. And so, would you, I mean, I mentioned a few things this morning about the church and all. Would you just be praying for the board? We have an incredible board. We're kind of reconfiguring things that you'll hear more about in, in a little bit. And pray this, just pray that in all these things we keep our eyes on Jesus, okay? Because... Um, well, I just preached a whole sermon on about, so if you haven't got it by now. But anyway, pray that we keep our eyes on, pray that we keep our eyes on Jesus and go where he would leads us, lead us. And, and now you are, you are the sanctuary. And so may you be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, remember? That's pretty cool. Amen? All right. And now listen, um, I think we have some cake and stuff back there. Be sure to hug uh, Michael and say hello to Jess in just a minute. If you're new, go back to the Connect Center. We've got uh, downside up DVDs. Those are the ones we're making. They're really cool, and you got to get one of those. And then I'll see you next week. All right. Have a, have a great Thanksgiving. All right. All right. And the prayer team, Nick and uh, Sasha are right here. They'd love to pray with you if you'd like prayer.